there is a misconception that this is all happening because of climate change. Certainly some of it is happening because of climate change, but like you and I were talking about, we remember 1986, we remember 1993, we remember 1997, 2005, 2006, 2017. These were all big water years. California's cycle has always cycled between three or four arid years and then one or two really big ones. Right. The difference I think is just that now the depths are getting deeper, right? The depths of the drought are getting lower and that is largely due to, to climate change right. and other factors. So it's hard to, harder to recover from those. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Back by popular demand, we have Alexandra Beering uh, with the Friant, rhymes with giant, water mm -hmm. authority. Alex, how's it going? Thanks for coming back on. Uh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here again. And I don't know, I don't know what sort of popular demand you're talking about, but um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm happy to be back because it's been uh, it's been a quite a year so far in yeah. water. Um, yesterday I saw on Twitter, um, you pointed out something that you got this compliment a couple of years ago that when something was awkward, <laughs> you would just point it out blatantly and you'd be like, that is awkward. That, yeah, exactly. Like release the tension. So yeah. Anything you need to point out oh, right now, just um, that elephant in the room. The elephant in the yeah. room. Um, well, yeah, no, that did happen when I was in grad school. Um, I can't remember. I think I, it was my, my friend Brooks maybe said this to me and he said, I was doing some presentation and someone flubbed something and I can't remember what it was. And, mm. and he was just, and I pointed it out and I said, well, that was, that was really awkward. And, and now we're moving on. And, um, and he said, you know, that's such a great quality to diffuse the tension in the room when someone does something strange and then everyone just feels bizarre about yeah. it. So um, I don't know why I was thinking about that, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we're all kind of grappling with right now is like, when I was here like six months ago, maybe we had we were talking about hundred billion dollar right. surpluses and we were talking about no water. water. Yeah. And now we're talking about a lot of water. Kind of and yeah. yeah. So last year we had money, but no water. This right. year we have water, but no money. Um, so it's a it's quite a change for for that six or seven month period. But I mean, that's how that's how California always works. Right. We we're a land of extremes. Um, yeah, everything, evidently. everything cycles, um, through those extremes. So, so yeah, we, we've had, gosh, 10 atmospheric rivers from late December to late January. Um, and we had about half the precipitation that we'll get statewide in just that three week, three or four week period. Wow. So that about 50% of all the rain and snow we'll get, um, all season long. And I think we've got about, um, the snowpack right now is about 80% from what I last read about what it normally is. Mm. Um, and so that's that's actually pretty good. Um, the snowpack is in, in good shape, relatively speaking. Um, the reservoirs are about 57% capacity. That's a little bit lower than they typically are at this time of year. But that's all from like one series of storms that all came really quickly back to back. So I think... You know, aside from the obvious issues with like dealing with flooding and what to do with all this water and how do you manage, you know, when suddenly all these creeks that have gone dry for years and years are just bursting. Um, I think there's also a lot of a lot of concern about or maybe there's a sigh of relief that people are thinking like, well, are we still in a drought? You know, right. um, and it certainly doesn't feel like it right now, you know, um, but I think I think 
you know, when you look at the drought, when you talk about drought, we talk about it in terms of a long-term prognosis. It's a, it's a long, it's a long-term thing. It's not like, are you getting water right now? Do things look green? Do things feel okay? Um, are there watering restrictions in place? Um, anything like that. It's more, um, how many years have we been in a very arid condition? How many years have we, have we had less than normal precipitation? So these storms do a lot, you know, especially for this year. I couldn't believe it. I just like was flying to Orange County and back the other day. Did you see how much water was in the valley? Yeah, we were landing and I was like, oh, there's Folsom Lake. And I was like, oh, well, let's see how full Folsom Lake is. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look really like Folsom Lake. And I was like, oh, wait, there's a nuclear power plant. And I was like, oh, this isn't Folsom. This is uh, Wilton. Yes. Yeah. Wilton, everything. It looked like uh, just a lake everywhere all around Sacramento. I know you're you're not the only person who said that. I mean, well, that that was because of the there was a levee breach on the Cosumnes River. uh, that was really, I think, the only major flooding that we saw that was kind of unanticipated mm-hmm. from what I what I saw um, was that that levee did breach and Wilton did get flooded. Um, but a lot of the beyond that, I mean, even just in the rest of the the Central Valley, there's a lot of water on the ground right now. Some of that is planned. Some of that is not as planned. Um, you know, people are trying to do recharge with whatever extra flood water they have, but right. it's not always possible. Um, so I think, you know. We're still really, we are still kind of, we still need to have a drought mindset because we're still considered like 90%, 80 or 90% of the state is still considered by the the drought monitor as being like in a moderate drought. But last month, like that same amount of California was considered to be in an exceptional drought. So, so things have moved. Um, the needles moved a little bit, but we really do need more, at least one more year of average precip. Um, and we need the rest of this season to be as average as possible to sort of get back to some sense of normal, but you know how California is. It just goes, everything goes like this. So well, it's kind of, you know, we were, before we started, we're talking about the the great storms of yesteryear and how this compared. And it's kind of like, you know, this happened last year, right, where we got like two weeks or three mm-hmm. weeks of really mm-hmm. big storms and mm-hmm. snow and things were great. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's problem solved. And then we had no rain the rest of the yes. year. Yes. And so that's kind of how it's looking right now. Like we had yeah. this maybe like uh, 10 storms. Yeah. And then like we're not seeing any coming. And it used to be kind of like you'd get on and off again storms all the way from December to April, right? You used right. to get those April showers, which, yeah. which brought May flowers. Um, but we don't see that anymore. Right. And kind of, I don't know. I know it's kind of hard to see what's coming, but somehow yeah. the farmers out almanac and stuff does that. <laughs> uh, what, what's kind of the, the whispers in the water world about, you know, was it, is this just a one and done or, you know, are we going to see more rain coming? I mean, I, I'm not a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish everyone had, I think, I think we all wish we had a crystal ball right now to be right. able to figure that out. Um, but you're right that, I mean, look at 19, well, we were talking about 1997, but there was also even 2017, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, we had this, it was very similar to what, what we're experiencing right now. Um, and that, that continued to be a big water year because we did have some more storms. But what's scary is that when you're getting almost half of your overall precip in a one month period, right. then it seems like you probably won't see as many storms throughout the rest of the year. I mean, I hope that we that we will. I hope that we'll have at least a few more small ones because that's really what we need to emerge from drought more fully is like consistent moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that that was kind of challenging about this year, again, when you're looking at getting having such massive storms that you're having um, half of your water come all at once in that short period is that they're they're 
operational considerations that have changed throughout the water system in California since we've had a big storm like this. And um, one of them is when we're talking about like Delta outflow. So we kept getting this question. Um, what are we doing to capture this water? There's so much water coming. Right. How much can we, how much can we use? Um, and effectively it, the answer was not as much as we'd like. And one of the reasons for that was that since um, the last biological opinions came out, which is just like the regulating plan for operating the state and federal um, water projects in the Delta, the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project, one of the most the most recent biological opinions required that um, for the first two weeks of a really big storm of the first major winter storm of the year, they have to they have to like ramp down the pumping at those pumps. So those are the pumps that take the water near Tracy and send it into the Delta Mendota Canal, the California Aqueduct, um, and deliver them to Southern California and the Valley. And for the first two weeks of the big winter storm, the first big winter storm of the year, um, the operators have to shut down like capacity, like a lot of capacity in those pumps. Um, so what we saw was that, and the reason they do that is because there are all these threatened listed species, sensitive species in the Delta, right? And they like to hang out near the pumps and they just sort of like float around there. And this two week period, they call it the first flush. And it's supposed to basically allow those fish time and water to move away from the pump so they don't get sucked in. Right. So they, they rammed down that pumping for two weeks and that coincided with the first two weeks of a th major three week period of precipitation of like massive precipitation. Um, so we lost probably, I think PPIC estimated that we lost about like 80 to 90,000 acre feet of water that we weren't able to move that would have otherwise been available. So I think there are a lot of people that, and this was, I believe it was a new regulation in, um, for the, the biological opinion and the plans for operating the pumps. So I think a lot of people were surprised by that and it, it kind of, People uh, bristled a little bit. A lot of our elected officials on a bipartisan basis started sending letters to state and federal agencies and administrations like, hey, wow, this is not exactly what we had intended when uh -huh. we put this in, um, or at least it's not what um, the ideal situation right. is. Because you're looking at those two weeks. Those were like probably the biggest two weeks. And you had to really reduce how much water you could move yeah. and how much water you could take. Yeah. We've had uh, Dr. Marty Ralph on. He kind of talked to us about atmospheric rivers and things like that. Yeah. And that's kind of, he's like, this is the future. Like, yeah. we're just going to get the, these violent storms. We're going to have tons of yeah. water. And so it's kind of like, well, if this is our future, we got to figure out how to deal with it. Right. Right. And so we're just getting a lot of water really quickly. And, you know, how do we... I guess store like you just said. What did you say? Like the Folsom was like fifty-seven percent, or were you like oh, threw some stats out? Yeah, no, statewide, oh, yeah. Um, we're the reservoir capacity is about fifty-seven percent mm -hmm. of of average, which right. is like that's just below, um, like I think sixty percent is is the average like long term. Mm -hmm. So, um, for this time, this type of year right. and this time of year, um, and so I think that that's pretty close. Like you look at that number and you think, okay, so we're not doing so bad, but it's coming on the heels of like multiple years where it was far lower than that. Right. Yeah, um, I guess like, what was it like in like October? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I should have looked that up. I don't yeah. know if I looked that up. Um, but it, he's right. I think there is a misconception that this is all happening because of climate change. 
certainly some of it is happening because of climate change. But like you and I were talking about, we remember 1986, we remember 1993, we remember 1997, mm. 2005, 2006, 2017. These were all big water years. California's cycle has always cycled between you know, three or four arid years and then one or two really big ones. Right. And then it, and it, the, the difference I think is just that now the, the depths are getting deeper, right? The depths of the drought are getting lower and that is largely due to, to climate change and right. other factors. Um, so it's hard to, harder to recover from those. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, things that we're doing certainly on the, in terms of conveyance, which we talked about last time, canals and things like that, it's hard to build new dams. It's hard to raise new dams um, or raise dams, but you can move water effectively to groundwater storage, um, which is what will be even easier to do once these canal fixes are in. Right. That's kind of what I went on to ask. Yeah. Like, I think last time you said, like, how many how many dams do you Like, we have a thousand. Yeah, we have like 1,600 dams or something and in California. Like, if you built another dam, it would be the 1,601 best, best location. Spot. Yeah. And so obviously there's <laughs> not many good new dams. Yeah. Like, that's not a good place to put your money. Yeah. And you started talking about kind of groundwater right. storage. And right. Kind of, right. Like, we just got all this water. And so, like, are, what, what, what do we do, we do right with now? it? Yeah. Are we storing it yeah. at all right now? And like, so it, I mean, so we talked about the delta, mm-hmm. and that there are some constraints on how much water we could use when it was when those really really high flows were available. How much water we could actually take from the delta and move to other places, which um, turns out, you know, not as much as we we'd wanted to. That's on the sort of west side of the state and the valley. When you look on the east side um, of the San Joaquin Valley, so like where the Friant Division is located, mm-hmm. we're actually doing pretty well. Um, the watershed above Friant Dam is storing, and um, we just got snowflight data back um, yesterday, and it says that we have about two and a almost, well, I think it was 2.3 million acre feet of water sitting in the snowpack up there. So that's actually putting us in really good shape on the east side um, in terms of the water supply that we expect to have in Friant Dam for the Friant Division contractors. And mm-hmm. of course, the Friant Division contractors are um, intended and designed, um, all those contracts are intended and designed to be um, conjunctive use, part of a giant conjunctive use project. Right. So they're all like most of them are doing some amount of recharge or have the capacity to do recharge. So those that can take it on the on the east side are um, Madeira, the folks off the Madeira Canal, that's Madeira Irrigation District and Chowchilla and a few others. They can do a lot of recharge and they're doing they're extremely aggressive in doing like on-farm recharge also. So they're not just taking water. Um, they're not a lot of people are like irrigating, irrigating right now. So they're taking water and putting it on the, um, crops and trees that are able to tolerate deeper water, just like sitting on the surface. So they're doing tons of recharge. They're just pumping as much as they can, um, down the, down the canal and out into the fields, and on the Frank Canal, so Frank Kern Canal south of Friant Dam along there. So unfortunately, we scheduled a major canal outage during December and January because we're ri- it's such good yeah. timing. Um, again, with that crystal ball thing, we all kind of wish we had one. Um, but I mean, you know, we, you look at it and after three or four years of drought, you think, well, what are the chances we're going to have a big year? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, having the urgency of implementing that fix was more important than waiting till like the opportune time. Right. And this seemed like it could be a good time to do it. But yeah, it was it was 
not great timing. So we did lose out on the ability to move some water for recharge this year, but some of the folks that are above the pinch point off the canal are taking water for recharge. So Fresno Irrigation District is doing recharge. Um, Tulare Irrigation District is doing a ton of recharge. There are a lot of front contractors on the canal who are like actively ramping up their recharge projects right now. Um, but yeah, we had that outage. That was a bummer. Yeah. So. Earlier, we were talking about how, how cold it was, and, oh, yeah. and you kind of surprised me. You're like, I, I hope it stays this way because uh, <laughs> it's good for our snowpack. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, we forget that the snowpack is kind of like a savings account for it us, is. right? Yeah. Uh, water savings. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when we're talking about, you know, dams and, you know, water coming, you know, how do you calculate the snowpack and, and how that's going to help, yeah. you know, I guess in hopefully six months or so when it starts to melt and come <laughs> Yeah, away. exactly. No, I, I always tell people whenever I say... I hope it stays this cold. People are like, why? And it's just for that reason. I mean, I think like, if you, Canada. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> if you're going to make a um, comparison, you, since you brought up the, the savings account thing, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to tweak that a little yeah. bit. I'm going to say that the groundwater is supposed to be our savings account. Okay. The snowpack is our checking account, right? So um, that's how it's supposed to work. Mm. And um, right now, you know, we've got all that, that water up there and it's stored in the snowpack and the way that we measure it, there are a lot of different ways to measure it. So there are a bunch of remote like snow, um, measurement locations. They've got things called snow pillows that like literally like a rubber pillow thing that's on the ground and it measures different factors and characteristics of the snowpack above it. Um, but we actually use something else and it's called ASO. It's, um, airborne snow observatories. And so it grew out of a, um, a project at NASA JPL and it is a, like plane mounted LIDAR, light, light detection and ranging, I think. And um, it's basically, it's a very simple technology. It's not simple technology. It's complex technology, but it makes a simple calculation. Um, you know what the land surface elevation is mm-hmm. in a whole basin. You do a, a flight to figure out how, what the actual surface elevation of the land without snow on it is. And then every month or so during the winter, these planes go up and they measure Um, multiple locations over every square meter of the entire upper watershed. Um, And then that's subtract one from the other. And you have a sense of how much, you know, how deep the snowpack is. That's probably the simplest of all the sort of um, information that comes out of it. But they also have information. um, They can gather information about the snow. um, I don't, well, there are some technical terms. I'm not going to use them, but basically how much uh, light, is reflecting off the snow and that can tell you how dense it is, how much ice there is, all these things that feed into an assessment of what the runoff will be like in say two weeks. So we can know with some amount of certainty now exactly how much runoff will be will be occurring into the San Joaquin River system at any point two weeks from now mm-hmm. um, with like 98% accuracy. So it is a much more granular and detailed and um, helpful set of tools and data. It's something that the state is using as well, and they, they're they incorporating and paying for some of these flights. We're doing some of them. The federal government is paying for some of them. And they're doing it in a lot of basins now. So it's not just the San Joaquin. It's several others right alongside them in the Central Sierra. Um, and that that is particularly important because the Central Sierra has some of the deepest, longest lasting snowpack in the state. Um, it can, you'll have snow there much longer than you'll have it in say like Tahoe or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, um, so yeah, so that's how we, 
we take a look at how much water is going to be potentially available. That feeds into how the Bureau of Reclamation makes water allocations for some of the um, contractors on the east side of the valley um, and other places. So it's it's pretty useful. We've been doing it since about 2016. Um, and it's uh, it's also just really cool. We get really cool graphics from it. And I don't know, it's, yeah. it's fun. And it helps, you know, it's helpful for um, districts who are doing recharge because they can know how to schedule. They'll know what they're know. They'll know what's coming down the hill, um, and so they'll know how to maximize their opportunity to spread yeah. water and where to put it and when to you know when to get ready when to ramp up. Yeah. Can you explain like when is it beneficial for it to melt? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're you kind did of talking ask about oh, you don't want to melt too early. You did, yeah. You, you did late. ask that. So, so, so the way that our whole our whole water management system broadly in California is predicated on the idea that under the traditional hydrology that we've experienced over the past 150 years or so, um, we know that starting in about April, it starts melting, the snow starts melting, it's getting warmer, runoff starts increasing, increasing, increasing in most areas, uh, kind of peaks in June and July. And then it, uh, trickles, trickles out, so to speak. Um, and then, that is also that also comports with when farmers a lot of farmers need to water their crops right. um throughout the spring and summer and so this you said the you know the we talked about how the snowpack is like the savings account or the checking account we rely on it to stay there mm-hmm. because we can't capture all of that water all at once there there's no way to build enough reservoirs to capture all that water if it were just to come as rain or right. if it will all were all to melt at once What's happening is that now we're starting to see that runoff period begin earlier in the year. And that is because of climate change. And so, you know, something that might have come as flood as like runoff high flows during the spring, during April, May, June may now be coming in February or March. Um, And I mean, there are implications for that in terms of how we can use the water and for what purpose, who can take the water, because there are a lot of water rights permits that are um, and water rights that are set by the Water right. Resources Control Board based on whether we're in a winter flood period, a runoff period, fall, what have you, and it's complicating some of some of this stuff. So there's a big hydrology shift that's happening right now that is making our water system and water management system a little less efficient. Well, a lot less efficient. And that's why things like having these more detailed tools and information about how to manage um, the, the resources that are either up in the watershed or already there now in the reservoirs is important. Right. Yeah. Like who owns our water is, is pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Melissa Hurtado came on and she was talking about like, yeah, foreign government could just come in and buy water rights. And I think she's, you know, doing a bill to that. Yeah. That she, she's, she's, yeah. She's uh, talked to me about that before. Uh, um, can, can you kind of talk about you yeah. know, water allocations? You got the state sure. government, you got the federal government, yeah. you got like private interests. Like how does that all work? Yeah. I mean, at a very basic level, all waters um, in California, all water in California is held in public trust for public uses by the state of California. You can't really own the water. Um, you can get a water right. And that's something that's granted by the Water Resources Control Board. Um, they started granting water rights through permits and licenses. If you were a diverter before 1914, then you have what we call pre-1914 rights. And you can, um, they're, they're higher priority. They're the oldest rights um, on the books, so to speak. But 
if you came if you came in later, the Johnny Come Latelys have to apply for water rights from the Water Resources Control Board, and it's a very it's actually a pretty long process. Um, and it it can be. I mean, I don't, I'm not an attorney, so I won't get too too deep in the weeds here. But it, the state owns or holds water rights for um, and permits for the state water project that it built in the 1960s. Federal government owns water rights um, through permits and licenses for the Central Valley project, which it started in the 30s and built out through the 60s. And so they control they they hold those water rights. And then they make allocations for their water users. So the State Water Project last week just got a 30 percent allocation, which, again, going back to my comments about we're not able to do as much with this water as we would like to. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of water that came down to only have a 30 percent allocation right now. That seems like they're being pretty conservative. I don't know. Um, We don't know what the Bureau of Reclamation allocations are going to be, but but I think those come out next month. But they set they decide how much water. All their contractors, which are irrigation districts, cities, primarily special districts, um, counties, whomever, they decide how much water those entities can take from the the water rights that they have on the books. So say you have 100 100 units of water rights. um, They look at the hydrology. They look at how much water's come. And then they say, okay, contract holders, you guys can have 60 of this. Or you can have 50 of it. We don't have enough this year, whatever yeah. it is. So they kind of hold the the keys in terms of how much folks can get. But there are a lot of other factors that play into that in terms of um, environmental regulations and, you know, all, all these other things that dictate some of that. Um, and so we do have we do have a lot of different types of water rights throughout the state. And it, it does get a little um, it does get really confusing. And there's a lot of talk right now about should we just throw out the whole system? We should just like throw out water like water rights or right. water rights are, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of words and names and um, things being lobbed at poor water rights in California right now. <laughs> but um, but the reality is th- this is a system that's developed over like more than a century. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of arrangements in place to allow us to use that water um, most effectively and flexibly with, you know, exchanges between different water users and transfers and purchases to redo it from scratch would be a gargantuan task. I just don't know if it's, I don't know if it makes sense like, to do. Can, can you sell your water? Like, so if you're like, if you have yeah, these 1914 I mean, water rights, so yeah. that's you're like sold I mean, I think, down to generations. I think, yeah, I mean, you, you, it stays, if you have it, it stays, those are typically, they stay with your land, mm-hmm. typically. Yeah. So, um, again, not, not a water rights attorney, but, but there are, um, there are some who have those pre-1914 water rights in, there's some in the Delta, there's some in the Central Valley, there's some in the upper watersheds. Um, there's some real ditches out there. So, yeah. um, so there's that. And then the rest of us are all just relying on, for the most part, the water rights that our water suppliers have acquired at some point, either they have it from the state water project the, or they have it from the Central Valley project. Or in the case of Sacramento, we have, I mean, talk about pre-1914 rights. Our rights go back to like the 1850s for taking water from the Sacramento River. Wow. Um, so so it really is a patchwork all over the place. And it's it's that's what makes it so complex is that you may have multiple entities who um, have water rights in one area or or is a supplier or it's a water right that you have for your farm. But then there's a city. I mean, it's it just gets it's all very location specific mm-hmm. as to like. Yeah. I mean, in terms of who can buy water rights, 
Yeah. I mean, if you, let's say you're the, you're a company and you're like the major, majority landowner in say an irrigation district, um, and you're from ABC International Corporation, I just made that up, um, then you you can, if you go to apply for a water right at the water rights or the water resources control board and you're the majority landowner in an irrigation district, yeah, a company could control water. But and and things like that do happen. But um I think it's um it is really it's really sexy to make it or it's very um it's very appealing somehow for to make it seem like a great conspiracy, right. but I don't think it always is. But yes, I mean, there are, there are, I mean, look at, look at wonderful. Wonderful is owns a ton of the land in, in California and they control a lot of the water with it, but, and it's a private company, but you know, I mean, farming is still a, farming is still a business too. So, right. you know, so I think that the answer is, yeah, there've always been um, private entities involved because there are private entities involved in farming. We mm. don't have like public benefit farms. This is all, you know, these are communities and people. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so maybe someone's got, maybe I just yeah. gave someone a good idea. I don't know about that. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, last time we were on, we talked a lot. You know, we, we had this big budget surplus. Right. We talked about how great it would be if yeah. we had a few hundred million, or was it even a billion dollars to fix these canals mm-hmm. and fix kind of yeah. how water could travel. Um, have you guys kind of calculated or seen like, man, if we had this canal up to 100% of what we wanted to do, like how much water could you have guys have have moved and saved this past storm that you weren't able to? Get yeah, to? I mean, I that is a good question. I have not done that calculation, but I could figure that out. I should have thought of that. Um, actually, the I mean, the closest I think example for this year. I mean, obviously, we had the canal outage this year where mm-hmm. we scheduled two months because we were fixing the canal. We're fixing the problem that you're addressing, right. um, and so we wouldn't have been able to move that water anyway. But in 2017, that was the next sort of the next biggest year that's like right. this year. And that that time we did lose about 300,000 acre feet that we could have used for groundwater storage. So, I mean, the good news is that this time next year, the project is going to be largely complete for the middle reach of the project of the of the whole canal, right. which is like the worst pinch point, the worst conveyance constriction. So um, if we have another good year, it'll be. It'll be uh, useful then, but I mean, it's it is a bummer to have lost out on it this year. But we know it's for a good reason, and it's because we're trying to prevent that from happening in the future. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure it's on an order of magnitude similar to that. You know, what we noticed this, I guess, year, which mm. I don't really recall ever happening, is just these giant trees just getting oh my god devastated, just destroyed. You know, power yeah. outages. Yeah. Here at the Capitol, like, uh-huh. I've never seen uh-huh. these giant trees. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I imagine that happened up and down the valley. Kind of how has all these kind of trees yeah. and kind of all this water affected the canal? And I, I'm sure it's made. I mean, the a tree thing in some spots. Yeah, the tree thing was. I uh, I had a friend move here the the biggest storm week, like the first big yeah. storm week, and she was like, "Is it always like this? Is it going to flood?" And I said, "No, actually, like this time, you don't need to worry about the flooding piece. Right. Not really, because we spent about four billion dollars." at the state level with a local and federal match over the past 20 years, fixing levees and Mm -hmm. improving the flood system. But what you need to worry about is the trees. (laughs) This year it's the trees. And I've never seen that. Like you said, I've never seen it before. Um, And basically my understanding is that in a period of prolonged drought, the the roots kind of like, if if you have shallow roots already, Mm -hmm. they sort of contract a little bit. They're just, they don't spread out as much or something like that. But 
the bigger thing is that a lot of them have shallower root systems and then the and then the soil was just like pudding right after like a week of storms right. the soil was just it was mush um and it was mostly these like large conifers and evergreens that were falling so we don't have a ton of large evergreens in the valley but there were i did talk to um i've talked to a couple of my farmers who have said that they had you know like 10 20 30 acres that they had to they had to clean up because a lot of the trees came down um, if they're permanent crops. So I think we're still, they, and then they also said, well, and then we had to figure out what to do with them. We can't burn it because of the air quality. We right. can't. And so it's like, I guess we'll just chop them up and see if anyone wants firewood. Um, a good barbecuing community. Yes. Now, a yeah. good, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. I know. I know one of my other farmers does like a big barbecue every year and cooks a bunch of steaks. I was like, you could take advantage. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, it's, um, I don't know that it's, What's happened in Sacramento is very different in terms of the trees is what what's happened down there just in terms of probably the size and the 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 impact to like structures and things like that. I mean, we saw what here a thousand trees maybe come down. My friends had a tree crush their garage. Other friends had a tree crush crush their car. I mean, yeah. I think I know a handful. I'm sure you do too. A handful of people who had like trees crush things they yeah, own, which yeah, is like their house. This has yeah. never happened before. Did you see the one right there on 9th yes, Street? That giant that was one crazy. That crushed that little Yes, there. yes. Yeah. It was nuts. So so that was really bizarre. Um, and it, it was definitely the first time I remember thinking as well, wow, last time we had a year like this and a winter like this, I was worried about flooding. This time I'm worried about trees. Um, so and that maybe that's good. That that could be that could be progress. We spent a lot of money on on flood protection over the years and it's you know we're seeing the benefits of that. Yeah. You know, one area just kind of always kind of confounds me that you always drive over is is the causeway. Mm-hmm. You're driving over the causeway and, you know, it's usually dry and sometimes right. it's like super full. What is that water? Where does it go? <laughs> Where does it come from? Yeah. It, is it used for any good purposes? Yeah. So it's it. that's interesting that it's um, so that area. And it's been a while since I've been working since I've worked in flood. I did for the first five or six years of my professional consulting career, did a lot of flood management stuff, but um, haven't as much in the last few years. But that, that area, you're talking mostly about the, like the Yolo bypass mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, that The whole flood bypass system was built in the Sacramento area and the Sacramento Valley in like the, probably like the early half of the 20th century. And so that relieves pressure off the Sacramento River. And most of what's there are like rice fields and things mm-hmm. like that. There are actually a very, um, f- there are very few numbers of crops you can grow in that area because they need it to be available to absorb flood water whenever flood water comes. Right. So you can grow, I think, some grains, you can grow um, rice. It also provides a lot of habitat. So they've a- actually been looking at um, some strategic prog- projects, even, you know, in years like this, especially where you can provide like habitat and food sources for like salmon and other fish who may end up finding their way into, say, the Yellow Bypass because it's a high, a big water year. And then they can just sit there and sit in the water and get fat and happy eating rice and bugs and all whatever right. else they eat. Um, and uh I don't know exactly what they eat, but bugs at least. Um, and so there's there are people that are trying to make those more multi-benefit projects, even though they were initially really just designed to be a big parking lot for water. So it's a place where we like let the water out, 
uh, like an off ramp for water from the Sacramento River is basically what it is. And that's why um, that's why it's located where it is. And that's also what, um, yeah, what dictates what you can really do there. But it also can provide habitat for like you probably saw a lot of birds. Mm, right. right. Um, there at one time was a ton of wetlands. There were a ton of wetlands in the Central Valley. I think we've lost more than 90 percent by this point. So when there are periods where you can have some sort of transitory water storage that can just sit in a place like that during the winter, it's hugely beneficial to migratory waterfowl and all sorts of other species. So it becomes like a temporary habitat as well as a a flood protection feature. Yeah. You know, earlier you're kind of talking about how like all this water that's just kind of sitting there on the on top of the ground, you can yeah. fly, you can see it, you know, it's kind of helping, I guess, recharge a lot of the sure. groundwater. And, you know, you've before talked about kind of recharge projects. Yeah. How does that work and kind of where where are they doing <laughs> that and kind of can you yeah. kind of talk to us about that? Yeah. I mean, we like I said in the past, I mean, the front division of the Central Valley Project was built to incorporate recharge mm-hmm. as part of its function. Um, it's supposed to function like. In some years, you can take surface water and use it. In other years, you have to rely on the groundwater as backup. And so in a year like this, when there is a lot of surface water available, especially on the east side, um, you know, you you pull it off. You pull it off the canal at a turnout. Um, and then there's usually another like local distribution area or there may be a pond nearby the canal or something like that. And it's, it's very similar to the what's happening now at the Yellow Bypass. It just becomes like relieving pressure off of the canal will not pressure necessarily. It's just taking water that's available. Um, and then a lot of people are doing, um, I mean, the easiest way that people can do it quickly is just to have like a recharge pond or something like that, which is just like a big, big bathtub or dirt pool. It's like a dirt pool. Um, and so you have a lot of recharge basins that can take that water and it depends on the soil type and where you are in the system. Some, some areas can't take as much recharge. They don't have as much capacity to store groundwater. Um, others can. And so the ones that can will use it and the ones that can't won't. Um, and then, and it does have a, like it has benefits longer term because you're able to replenish what you've taken out of the groundwater over the past couple of years, because mm-hmm. let's face it, everyone's pumping groundwater because there was no surface water available. Right. So we are um, trying to restore some of that um, in terms of the groundwater levels and stabilize the groundwater. Right. But then there are also a ton of small communities and rural communities along the east side of the valley that only depend on water from wells. So they only have water. They don't take surface water. They just have a well. Right. Um, and they have been really impacted by the drought as well. And so what this when this water comes, comes in, um, the contractors that will take it will, and they'll be able to recharge, I mean, in some years, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of acre feet of water if that water is available. Um, there are actually some communities. Tulare Irrigation District is doing a project with – um, to to do strategic groundwater recharge. So they're actually trying to do the recharge near communities to help with water quality and water availability. So kind of doing these sort of multi-benefit projects that exist with with water that's available. And that becomes habitat potentially as well for, you know, waterfowl for yeah. a period of time. So that's on the east side of the valley because, like I said earlier, like the San Joaquin system is doing pretty well. We're in our top, probably in our top 10% wettest years ever. So we're going to have a lot of water there. It's harder to move the water. Top ten, huh? top ten percent. Yeah. yeah, if that's only if we remain Next average. Next show, we should go through the top ten. I know we you could, know, we could, David we could. Letterman style. Yes, that's a good idea. That'd I should have thought idea. to do that. Yeah. So on the west side is a little different though because again we have a constriction of the delta. Right. It's hard to get that water south 
from the Sacramento River South. Um, there are recharge projects around Sacramento as well. Um, the, there's a lot of capacity to take to take water um, and recharge aquifers in the Sac Valley, and there's a lot of rice up there as well. So that that is happening naturally for those types of crops that can really absorb a lot of high flows and and standing water and flooding more yeah. or less. Kind of last time we talked about kind of kind of this groundwater thing and how like the Central Valley or parts parts of it are like lowering yeah. because of these yeah you know, the subsidence the right. Not. And yeah. I remember there was like one one area where a farmer just like. You know, that just kind of totally collapsed on yeah. itself. And you're yeah. Like, so that, that's I mean, their fault. Like, yeah, they, they did that to themselves. Like, they took there too is, much water and now it collapsed. Yeah. Um, and how, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we're dealing with on the Frank Kern Canal. That's what uh, our big project is, is to fix, to fix that. And I always say it's kind of a death spiral, which is a terrible way to say it. But when you have more groundwater overdraft and you are over pumping in certain areas, you're, you're reducing the canal, you're, you're lowering the canal physically, reducing its ability to carry more water to that area and replenish the groundwater. So mm-hmm. it's like a, a cycle that perpetuates itself. It's like the snake eating its tail. Um, and so we're trying to get out of that cycle by fixing the canal. So, yeah. So you talked about this kind of this one area you're fixing. Kind yeah. of what, what, what's the status of, I guess, yeah. other areas that need to be fixed or yeah. are going to be fixed? We're halfway uh, through the Middle Reach um, Capacity Correction Project, which is the first, like, 500 ish million dollars worth of projects that would uh, restore 60% of the canal's capacity. So that's like the major, big, big problem, the biggest problem. Um, that'll be done in January 2024. And that'll be great news for everybody south of there, um, especially. There's also some. And where, where is that south? So that's like, that is like right around Porterville. Okay. If Way you know down where Port- there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like the bottom third. Like it's. Towards the bottom third of the yeah. canal. It was pretty fun. Um, after last time we talked, I, yeah. I took my kids down to Disneyland and there was a yeah. big accident on I-5. Oh, yeah. So then we had to go from I-5 yeah. over through 99. And I got to drive through all these little communities and see all these little that, canals at work. So yeah, pretty, it is cool. cool. And what you realize when you go down 99 and you have to, you know, you get on or off is that there are a lot of communities down. There are so many. It's not like yeah. going on 99. So so that's going to be hugely beneficial for, for folks who are around um, like Porterville and Tarabella, southwards, all the way down to Bakersfield, especially because the further down you get, the more recharge you can do. Mm -hmm. So at the very bottom of the canal is Arvin Edison Water Storage District. They're a water storage district. Like literally they they are designed to take hundreds of thousands of acre feet of water and put it in the ground and save it. And so um, so it's it's a really big deal. It's like our, pro- our project just hasn't been fun- functioning as um, efficiently as it was designed to function because yeah, of that. What you say? Like, so what is it functioning at? You're like, when we fix this, it will be 60 It will be it will, So we where will are have, we at right now? We will have regained, no, we will have regained that lost 60%. So what's going to bring it up to the original design capacity right there, okay. which is to move about four, to, right now it can move about maybe like 1,500 cubic feet per second. Uh-huh. It's designed to move 4,000. So we're bringing it back to that 4,000. There's another pinch point a little higher up um, near the Kings River, like kind of near Fresno. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty high up in the the canal. Um, and I think, you know, if that's the upper reach, which we may pursue in the future. It would be great to right. restore the capacity there, but it's not nearly as bad as it is in the middle reach. So it's, that's kind of, I don't know, this kind of reminds me of like, you know, this is the area where the high speed rail is going. Yeah. You know, we're going to have this super fast train. Yeah. And, did you, know, you see the high speed? Did you see it? I've when seen you it. Dri- yeah, 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 okay. Because yeah. a lot of people are like, just don't build it. I'm like, 
it's already being built. <laughs> so you guys, this shows how few people yeah. actually drive Go down, down 99 yeah. regularly unless you are living and working in communities on right. the east side. Because other people, they're, they have no idea. Yeah. It's crazy. And so like we know like all these other countries have these great high-speed rail mm -hmm. systems. Uh, like super fast trains and you yeah. know, we just just doesn't even exist. You yeah, know, we go maybe ninety miles an hour. That's yeah, cool. what about like water? You were just talking about like our canal can do like 4,000. 4, yeah, it? yeah. Um, like what are like other advanced countries with their advanced water systems? You know, doing and able to move water like in comparison. Like yeah, I mean, I'm not. Sh I well, for all of its warts, our water management system is still an absolute engineering marvel. The fact that we were able to build this and is. that we did absolutely. So we're up there with the Dutch and the Romans. I mean, well, th they're different. <laughs> Definitely better than the Romans, although I'm sure, you know, in their time, they were yeah. certainly the they were certainly the primo example. Um, I mean, the Dutch have different needs, right. but but people do look to them, um, especially if you're talking about floods um, and flood protection. Mm -hmm. And because what they're dealing with in the Delta is there's some comparable, you know, similarities and commonalities here in terms of levees and subsidence and islands. Um, the one thing that people are talking a lot about, and this is not entirely your question, but about putting solar panels on canals. Mm -hmm. This is coming up a lot because they right. are doing it in other countries. Um, and there are some studies right now. I think UC Merced has been doing some work and doing some studies on um, solar panels on canals. People have asked us, is this worth doing on the Frank Kern Canal? And it we we have it's hard to say. We don't, it's a gravity-fed canal. It's just like I saw someone describe it recently as like a giant um slide at the park where right. you just slide down the whole way. So we don't use much energy, like yeah. we don't have an energy need. So you're generating something. Not sure what to do with that It'd be energy. An evaporation it plan, would be right? it yeah. would be, I mean, that would be probably a better maybe even a better use of, of covering a canal. But the maintenance for that is like, I mean, how do you remove these so you can get in and do heavy machinery uh, maintenance? Yeah, I mean, it just becomes, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's it's really, um, I don't know if it pencils out for us, but it might for big like energy users, mm -hmm. like the State Water Project, um, California Aqueduct, something like that, right. it could potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we're still looked to as a an engineering marvel for sure, um, but, it's been almost, I mean, 70 years since a lot of this was built. So right. you got to keep it up. And that's what we're having to do now. But yeah. So d despite, you know, it was built 70 years ago, and, <laughs> you know, if mm -hmm. you were to rebuild it today, it's, it, it, you get basically want to do it any better. Or, or I don't know. Different. That's a good thing. You know, I've never really thought about that. But well, I think one of the things that was originally envisioned as part of a large statewide water management system, which first was designed by the state of California. And then, like we said last time on the show, went to the Great Depression, couldn't build it, handed it off to the feds, right. then built their own later state water project. Um, I mean, the Delta conveyance one, you kind of can't talk about parts of the system that could improve without talking about how to make things better in the Delta. Right. And I have conspicuously stayed largely out of that debate through most of my career, which is, <laughs> I won't say it's like always a conscious choice, but, right. you know, everyone who works in water has to know enough about the Delta to know, to know the whole system. The canal, um, the tunnel, which is now one tunnel proposed by the Newsom administration, it was two tunnels in the Brown administration. It was a canal previously through multiple administrations. 
Um, that was always planned as part of the state, the state's water project, whatever that was going to be. Um, some way to better move Sacramento River water around the Delta or through the Delta. And it wasn't built at the time. And I think, you know, the thing that I think, I don't want to be a pessimist, but there needs to be a better way to improve water deliveries through the Delta, around the Delta, however you want to do it. Right. Um, there's got to be something better for the species in the Delta because it's not great for them right now, the way we currently do it. Um, you know, so you've never taken a position on the Delta. Uh, well, I, I have personally a position. <laughs> I personally have a position, but, um, but it's hugely expensive. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about yeah, not as expensive as high speed rail. High right. speed rail is what, like 80 billion or something for the entire thing. Or maybe I don't, we don't maybe even we know. Don't even yeah. know. Um, and I think that the the Delta conveyance fix would be, I don't know, like 15 to 20 is right. what I remember from before. Something needs to change there because um, the reality is that it is still a very earthquake prone area. There are major faults under mm-hmm. there. The levees that are in the Delta, a lot of them are not up to the federal flood protection standard. Right. If you get a major the way it's the way it is right now, if you get a major earthquake in that area, you are um, endangering water supplies for 20 to 7 to 30 million Californians. Wow. I mean, you would have to shut but, it off. You'd yeah. be like, no more. Now, now there's no water. Of us, yeah. yeah. And so um, then they'll have to go in and implement something really fast. Mm-hmm. And by that point, maybe we will have studied conveyance around or through the Delta so many times that we'll have like a plan on hand and right. you can just just do it now it's time build something really fast yeah but but it's i mean that's what scares me is that that could happen and so you're talking about how do you build more conveyance or how do you improve conveyance is there anything we need like i think we probably needed a better solution in the delta from day one i don't know what that is necessarily but it hasn't really worked out the way it's worked um and it's also what's responsible for making um you know making reliability for folks that rely on Sacramento river water south of the Delta so much harder. So that would be something that I, I probably would have planned better, but I'm not an engineer, so I don't know necessarily what the solution is. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a vexing problem. And now a lot of those communities that rely on Delta water, especially in Southern California, they have other water supplies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got some from some local river in right. Southern California or they've got groundwater or they're taking it from the Colorado right. river. But we all, even if you don't even follow water, you've watched over the last six months as like the conditions in the Colorado river get like continually worse um, in terms of water supply. And there, I mean, that's a huge fight going on right now and it's not looking good. And a lot of people have cut back on irrigation in the basin. I mean, it's definitely not my area of expertise, but there is some amount of water that's used, um, even just by municipal entities in California from the Colorado river. So they're getting those supplies squeezed over there Mm -hmm. too. So they're getting it, they're getting it from both sides. They're getting it from squeezed from the Delta squeezed from the Colorado river. And you know, it's, it's a scary place to be. So, you know, kind of last year we had the, the big surplus, yeah. you know, billions of dollars to throw around. You know, that's gone. Yeah. You know, we have a deficit now. But, yeah. you know, here we have Assemblyman Villa Pudua mm-hmm. introducing this kind of bond. Yeah. Uh, AB 305, mm-hmm. the California Flood Protection Bond Act of 2024. Mm-hmm. Kind of, have you had a chance to look at it? And kind of, I did what are look your at thoughts it. of it? I did look at it. I mean, it's pretty short right now. There's not like a dollar value assigned mm-hmm. to it or anything. Um, I did see that he wanted to focus on the San Joaquin Valley in particular, which is good. Um, you know, um, I think there's a really like flood management is a really complex web of um, agencies and responsibilities and entities. But, 
you know, the big flood protection system in the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys was built by, it was, a lot of it was built by local landowners, like going as far back as to the 1850s. Mm -hmm. Then Congress authorized um, flood control projects in the Sac Valley and the San Joaquin Valley in the early to mid part of the, the 20th century. Army Corps of Engineers either built new levees to connect the old ones or just took took over what the landowners had built years and years ago and just made it part of the system. Um, DWR has some responsibility for overseeing it, um, but then local entities maintain it. So you've got all these different entities that like have a hand in how flood protection works, but that can all that that's like a blessing and a curse because on one hand, there are a lot of entities that could contribute to um, funding to improve flood protection. Um, but it's not always um, it's not always easy to do. And so I think that's why certainly when we look at the state federal flood protection system, which is about 16,000 miles of levees, multiple flood, seven flood bypasses, multiple dams and weirs and all sorts of things. Um, it always seems to be funded by some combination of like state funding in the form of a bond, local funding, and maybe some federal funding. Right. And the locals usually fund those sorts of improvements through um, revenue generated through property taxes. So, okay, let's think, let's think about how that works. So in order to raise money to build and repair flood protection systems, you might need, it would, there's an incentive to have more houses. Is that a good idea? To, buy, to build more houses in the floodplain. So there's sort of these interesting- Maybe that's the housing solution we need. It's a housing, well, it's, yeah. So <laughs> we need, yeah, we definitely need a housing solution. So he's focused on the San Joaquin Valley, which I think is smart because there historically has not been quite, it seems as much investment in the San Joaquin Valley as there has been in the Sacramento Valley. Um, I mean, and he's build, if, if he is doing this, he's building it on, well, he is doing it, but he's building on, um, about $4 billion in state investments from the Prop 1E e bond about, that was 2006. Yeah. So Prop 1E, e, um, voters passed about $4 billion for improving flood protection in the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys. And, um, I mean, we've seen that all around the Sacramento region over the last several years, like the uh, excavators on the levees and this and that. And, and that money has really been used largely for building projects and in cooperation with local entities. So we have a long history of using bonds for the state's share of a, of a flood protection um, project. And I think that's smart because ultimately, and again, not an attorney here, but you, you got to know if you work in water, you have to know enough about some of the special cases or whatever. Right. So there was this um, basically a finding of liability and a judgment against the state of California for um, a, law, a series of lawsuits that came out of the 1986 floods. So in 1986, there was massive flooding around Marysville and a couple billion dollars worth of property damage. And so as court battles do, they sort of plot along for year after year after year until finally there was a decision made and a judge basically found that Look, the state of California took over, assumed management of all of these levees in the flood protection system that it became responsible for what happens if it fails. And so the state was found liable on the hook from right. billions of dollars of damages 
resulting from a system that they inherited. Because, again, these levees were built in like 1850 or 1910 or something. Mm -hmm. And then they just sort of took it over, handed off the responsibility for maintenance to others, and then some bad stuff happened. So the state is responsible if this system fails. The state is going to have to pay for it, not just pay for restoring or repairing part of it, but also paying for damages that result from a system failure here. Wow. So it is um, strongly in the state of California's interest to... Um, continue to invest in the flood protection system beyond what we've already done just to maintain what we've done, mm-hmm. continue to invest because, you know, like we were talking about with the hydrology shift, the runoff is coming fast and furious and it's going to get worse. So yeah. so that's I think there's a very strong state interest yeah. from like a taxpayer level. And I mean, as a taxpayer, I would rather spend a little bit more money right now to prevent the bill coming due a lot later and it being a lot higher because something something breaks. Right. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you next is the last water bond we had failed. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what's the politics look like on a, on a water bond? Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, this is where we are again, right? Six months ago, we were talking about, well, we have $100 million, so mm-hmm. we can invest that, like, state can invest right. in whatever we want. Like, do you remember when we had no dollars? And and that was when we would pass water bonds. Right. Um, we just, like, natural resources we bonds. We just had some on the ballot, right? I think they all, like, yeah. different school ones and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We did. all those passed. They did. Um, yeah, I think. So. Yeah. I mean, usually natural resources bonds tend to pass. Um, I think, you know... There's always concern about how big is, what's the right size? How do we right size a bond? Um, And there's, some of these bonds are um, initiatives that are, you know, from outside NGOs and organizations and interests. And then there are the legislative ones. And typically the legislative ones tend to certainly pass. Um, So I think it depends on who's generating the water bond. Um, you know, outside organizations, it's maybe more of a gamble than something that has been blessed by your local assemblyman or assemblywoman or right, senator, right? Votes, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Something that they they endorse. Like, hey, voters, um, we think this is such a good idea. We want you to we want you to endorse it too. And those tend to be, I think, more successful. So, but there have only been two natural resources bonds over the years that actually failed, and so there's a good success rate. Chances are, if it's if it's there, you know, people will vote for it. Um, I mean, there's obviously more of a need for more spending in the natural resources end. And typically the state has looked at it like that's a public good because no one entity will be benefiting from it. So if it benefits nobody, it benefits everybody mm-hmm. and everybody should pay for it. And that, I think, is the philosophy behind why we do natural resources bonds um, when there's no money. Then we have to, you know, use the credit card, which is right. what we're doing, um, what we'd be doing. For flood protection, though, I, I kind of think that it's in a summer, sort of similar category because there are, like, statewide liabilities at play here. Um, and there are human lives at, at risk. And people are typically very willing to spend money on things that are going to protect life and property. Um, and so I think, you know, I would say that they probably have decent chances. But it's all about where people's mindsets are with with spending, I mean, look at inflation has gone crazy and like interest rates for home ownership are so, are so high now. Um, so I, I don't know what the appetite is. I don't know what the appetite is, but hopefully 
I mean, there's a lot we can spend money on for sure. Are, are you guys working or talking to the assembly member about expanding? We or, we haven't. Or, no. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Always always happy to talk to anyone about it. I mean, we have. There's a need for, on the environmental restoration side, more money for the San Joaquin River Restoration Program that we're involved in. Um, State has contributed some money for that over the years, but the lion's share of the funding has come from the feds and from us. Um, So there's always need for more money for environmental restoration. There's always a need for more money for flood. Um, I think you can put together a pretty good package. And and I think um, we know what the what the third rails are now really with for a lot of folks when it comes to water bonds and things like storage. People want to support storage, but I think some people still feel a little burned by how the Prop 1 process and the storage program, the $3 billion or allocated, how that's played out. Yeah. There are a couple of kind of winners, but there are a lot of folks who, a lot of folks who feel like they, they were promised that the money would be spent on something and it hasn't hasn't yet and so that i think people are a little cynical about that right now if you know an anonymous billionaire came to you and said alex i want you to craft me a water bond (laughs) um that will pass yeah and and fix all of california's water problems sure what would that look like and, and how much would it cost oh boy okay so the i have to think about that I mean, it seems like the right size, based on what I've seen over the years, is like maybe somewhere between five to seven billion and no more. Um, closer you get to 10 billion. I, I know Prop 1 was like 10 mm-hmm. something, but the closer you get to 10, I think the more squirrely people get about it. There's a tension in how the way that funding in bonds, funding provided through bonds is. Um, dispersed. So typically the way that you would do it to make it fair is to have have everything be like a competitive grant program. So here's a bucket of money for um, upper watershed restoration. And it's a competitive grant program run through Department of Conservation or something. I'm making this up. That is that evens the playing field for a lot of people. Um, to an extent, because maybe you're a, a small county your county and you're competing with other counties and it, it doesn't look like a giveaway to anyone. Right. right? Um, but th- I mean, there are losers in that process too, because not everybody has the same resources to apply for those or to go through the process or the same technical expertise. So I guess that is to say that if I were structuring a bond, I would want it to be a blend of directed funding for certain projects as well as um, competitive grant programs. And that is because the other thing that happens that we've seen with competitive grant programs is that you tend to want to like sprinkle a little bit around everything. And 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 sometimes you can't make the impact that you could if you actually right. just Fixed threw a chunk of money thing, at yeah. something. So it would be nice to have a blend of both. Um, and I would put I would say, look, there's always a need for some more flood funding. So there's got to be some there's got to be some there. Uh, environmental restoration, there's a ton of restoration projects going on right now. And yeah, again, especially if they have cost shares, right? Make make it a cost share for some of these projects. Um, groundwater recharge projects that are strategically located um, to help with clean drinking water and achieving the state's um, human right to water goals and SIGMA, Sustainable Groundwater Management <clears throat> Act um, requirements. So groundwater recharge projects, um, 
flood. I would throw more money at conveyance. I would say because you know that you still have these four canals, these four canal projects, three canals, four canal projects that have a really big need. Um, I would throw, I would put a certain amount of money towards additional conveyance. Um, and then I would actually add more for competitive grant programs for, or funding for other conveyance needs. I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of needs right now, um, at like a smaller regional scale for getting water to like refuges or, um, other recharge basins or what have you. So it'd be nice to have, I don't know, half a million dollars for, you know, competitive grants for groundwater recharge. Um, and maybe another 300 million for the, the big four canal projects. That's it. I mean, I don't know. I would, I could look, I'm trying to be realistic here, right? (laughs) Some people, there are some folks that are not ever going to go for something that has a lot of money for directed, like directed funding. And, and I get that. But as long as you have other competitive funding, I think you can do a good job. Watershed, upper watershed management, forest management, lots. I don't know how much, but a lot. (laughs) Cause that's, I mean, again, that's, with the wildfires, I mean, what? It was three years of drought and like right. calamitous wildfires, and now we're dealing with floods again. So we know I mean, that that's I, the other I side can't of the coin. How many trees fell down out there too. Right? No, you know what is crazy? At least in Tahoe, I didn't see. Really? I okay. mean, and I think part of that is because so there was already a pretty big snowpack by the time the winds started. Okay, there's kind of. I think it. I think that's there. part of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not a. Didn't tree person. I'm not a tree reader. I don't know. Um, so I would say those those are probably those are probably good. There are a lot of pilot projects that could take um, funding for trying to um, help species in terms of ongoing like real time monitoring or um, you know habitat restoration. I just I, the categories seem to be the same more or less all the time. Mm-hmm. We might call them something different, but it's it's going to be flood. There's going to be some physical infrastructure. Um, for water conveyance, there's going to be some groundwater recharge. There's going to be um, upper watershed management, ecosystem restoration. So that's like what six, um, and then you know there are always things like stormwater recapture, things right. to make Southern California do we, excited. Do we need more money for storage. Do we need more storage. Well, I think that y- yes, and more of everything else too. Yeah. <laughs> groundwater storage, and I mean in particular, like. We need the capacity to move water to recharge locations underground, underground storage. There's um, so the huge, storage is there. There's like, we just need to be there's able to a capacity there. of like, I think 50 million acre feet capacity, I think in just the San Joaquin Valley alone for recharge. You always throw these huge acre I feet know. numbers. Like how much does like the sa- the Sacramento County use per year? Do you I, like no, I don't know. But um, I think, I'm trying to think of... Do we know how much the state uses or no? no I don't know. You mean like municipal water. use? You mean <laughs> like municipal? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it, it varies. Southern California is really efficient and I'm not, I don't want to throw out a number that's wrong, but right. um, for a while there was a shorthand that an acre foot was about 
as much as an average family needed in an average single family household for a year. So we need like 40 million acre feet. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But that's just for human use. For human use. Okay. Right. So growing stuff, it takes way more water. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we do need more storage. We need more underground storage. There are locations where we could do more above ground storage, Mm -hmm. but it, Aside from a few of them, so sites, um, sites reservoir is something that a lot of people, especially in the Sac Valley, want. Um, not going to be super helpful unless we fix the delta issue, the delta reliability issue. Right. Um, there are a couple other reservoir projects that have gotten funding in the San Joaquin Valley, and that's good. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the proposed projects out there are just um, increasing existing storage locations, which makes a lot of sense. And so we can do that. Um, so, but basically there's not a lot of use to storing water if you can't move it. Yeah, no, there's no reason there. I mean, yes, you could, you could still use it, but you're not going to be able to use it as well. And you're not gonna be able to use as much of it. And you're not gonna be able to use it when you need it. You're going to have to release more of it. You know, I, I, yeah, you need, you need both. Yeah. You can't, you can't have extra storage if you can't move it anywhere. And if you have all the conveyance capacity in the world and no way to store or slow the flows that go into the canals, and then that's not helpful either. So you kind of need both of it. You need the surface storage, you need the groundwater storage, and the conveyance. Wow. So. Well, I hope you get in there and you expand yeah. this pond. Oh, my right? God. Seven billion. I know there are a couple of others that are being discussed right now and proposed, and I think some of those would have, you know how this process works. It's like the water agencies are going to get their asks in line. Right. The NGOs are going to get their asks in line. Legislature is going to, you know, set its priorities. And then it's just all a negotiation on there'll probably be like four or five competing ones and then they all roll up or something. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I typically vote for those. The older I've gotten, it's, you know, it's really funny when I was younger, I voted no on all the spending, but I, when there was a proposition on the ballot, but when it was something related to, um, like, a, po- a policy change, I would, and I agreed with it, I would vote yes. The older I get, the more I'm like, man, I'm voting for the things to spend money. I don't, I do not want to screw. We've made, we've mucked around with the constitution so much. It's like knowing the unintended consequences of something that you pass in, you know, the seventies right. and how it some, yeah. and it locks you in. I mean, the boom and bust of our budget. Why is that? Well, uh-huh. Yeah, let's go back to like Prop 13. Yep. Exactly. And the blowback and the further effects from right. that. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's just um, the unintended consequences are so much um, more nebulous and unknown for policy changes than they are for spending. Yeah. For spending, it's just like, OK, add it to the add it to the credit right. card. Eventually we'll we'll pay it off, you know. So I don't know. We'll see. It's weird, right? Yeah. I don't know if that was. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else that was, yeah. I mean, there's um, flood stuff. Yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunity on the flood end, though, to do multi-benefit projects. Um, and I think, I hope that that whatever bond comes out, that there are, um, there's enough money in there to, to really put dollars towards projects that allow rivers to to balloon out and expand during flood times, capture that water in in situ in place for groundwater recharge and for habitat and kind of check those boxes all at once. Cause that's constra- overly constraining a river is um, quite literally disastrous. Yeah. So, 
So I, I know that the thinking on a lot of that has changed over the years and it's just something that we continually need to invest in. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird to think that during years where it's weird to think that during years where we have a deficit is when we need to pass bonds, but that's how we keep the, that's how we keep the wheels rolling in those yeah. years. So, yeah. Well, hopefully with all this water here, it'll be uh, fresh on people's minds. I know that's, next that's year the other thing. When we vote. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> like, remember this last yeah. year? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you can spend money on, um, during a drought to build drought resilience, but it doesn't do much unless you're also spending money when it's wet, Right. you know? So, yeah. Thinking for tomorrow. Well, yeah. Alex, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. Always fascinating yeah. as always. Thanks for having the water me. World. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Looking forward to see what's coming yeah. on this year. Because last time you were on, you know, your your episode released and all of a sudden the state, you know, came out with all these changes to the water program. And it's, yeah. like, it's like they were listening. It's like someone was <laughs> listening out there. Yeah. No, there's 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 always going to be some new plan or some new thing because yeah. it's just it's you can you can't take your eye off the ball. Not in a place like this. No. You have to continually be planning. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Alex. Thank you. OK. Until next time. Yep. You bet. Yeah.